The following sermon is from Faith Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Join us on Sundays for our 8.15 and 11 a.m. worship services. For more information, visit us online at faith-pca.org. If you have a copy of God's Word, take it, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23 this morning. So we're studying this fall Paul's letter to the Colossians, and the introductions are now over. The customary greetings that Paul normally uses in his letters, those are done. And this morning we come to what is perhaps the most famous or well-known passage uh, in the entire book of Colossians. And so as we read this passage, I feel like I say this every week, but... um, This is one of the most amazing passages in all of Scripture. It really is one of the greatest descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so follow along with me as I read. This is God's Word. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I said this in the early service, but let's rise for the benediction and go home after those just two verses. That is such a clear explanation of the gospel. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is God's word read a story this week in my study by Kent Hughes. He's a former pastor and commentator. He tells this story about Dwight L. Moody. 1893, the World Parliament of Religions was coming to Chicago, and basically that's representatives for all the religions in the world would come and meet together uh, in this conference of sorts, and they would give their best arguments and best points about their religion, and even perhaps start a new world religion. It had been decades, two decades before was the great Chicago fire that destroyed lots of Chicago, and so they were eager to host this conference to show off their rebuilding efforts. And Dwight Moody got wind that they were coming, and his supporters and representatives told him, now this group is coming to town, all the world religions, and they said, go after them, attack them, show them the falsehoods of all the people that will be here during this time in Chicago. 
And Moody refused to do it. He took a different approach. He didn't attack. You know what he did? Listen to this. He simply said this, a quote. I am going to make, and my desire is to make Jesus Christ so beautiful and so attractive that people will want to turn to him. And that's exactly what he did. He used all the available churches. He rented out the theaters that the World Parliament of Religions were not renting out. And he simply stood up and preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because you see, he knew something. Moody knew that Jesus Christ clearly proclaimed Jesus Christ preeminent, sufficient, and supreme was do the job. And you know what? It did. It's on record as being Moody's most successful evangelism campaign in terms of overall turnout and number of people that professed faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time. Where did Moody get that approach? Well, it was nothing new, actually, because we see that's the exact same approach that the Apostle Paul is using in the book of Colossians. This church was being threatened by false teachers who were proclaiming their own world of parliament of religion, so to speak. And Paul's strategy was not to give them a huge notebook on all the heresies and say, read this and then you'll be good. No, it's exactly the same. Paul's strategy was, I'm going to make, think about the passage we read, I'm going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that people will want to turn to him. You know what our philosophy of ministry is at our church? You want to just sum it up in a nutshell? It's that. From top to bottom, from oldest to youngest, every ministry of our church, what we want is when people walk in the doors of our church that Jesus Christ would be made so attractive that people would want him above everything else because he's so beautiful. Now we're going to look at this passage and see the beauty of Jesus, and we see it in three ways because we see in this passage, this is the outline, Jesus is supreme, Jesus is uh, sufficient or he's sustainer, and lastly, Jesus is Savior. So, Supreme, sustainer, and savior. That's where we're headed this morning. Let's look at our first heading, Jesus is supreme. Again, this is the thing that's blown me away about Colossians and really all of Paul's letters. So rich, so deep, we're just scratching the surface. We could spend the rest of our time on just up to the comma here. Um, We're not going to do that, uh, but it is some very rich, deep stuff. But let's dig in and see if we can see the beauty of Jesus here. So verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God. Let's try to get our minds around these things that are said about Jesus. The word image gets at this idea of exact likeness. So Jesus is the exact image. So think of portrait or painting, portrait or a picture. Jesus is the exact portrait of God and his character. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus, it says Jesus is the exact imprint 
of God's being. He's the precise copy. So in other words, if you've seen Jesus, you know Jesus, then you know God. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And I think this is so important, and let's stop for a minute and not pass it by so quickly, because I think a lot of times some of us have been around the church for a long time. We've heard this passage. We're like, yeah, 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 I got it. So often we project onto God our own thoughts, things in our imagination about what he is really like. And we could list a hundred examples of that. God is not good because of the suffering we see around us or because of my sin. There's no way God can forgive me. We could list a lot of things like that. And Paul says, stop. Don't look to your imagination. Don't project your ideas onto what you think God is like. Look at Jesus. God is not a tradition. He's not a figment of our imagination. He is real. And he came in the flesh through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God made visible, or as we like to say, Jesus is God with skin on. He goes on. Let's keep going. He is the firstborn of all creation. This is not saying that Jesus is the first person created. This is the verse that the Jehovah Witnesses point out and say, look, Jesus is created in his, he's a created being, he is not God. Well, that misunderstands the term firstborn. In the Bible, the term firstborn simply means rank, and you'll see it down when he talks about the resurrection too in this passage. It means rank or honor, which means that Paul is saying Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He means not that he was created, but that he has the highest honor. That all glory belongs to Jesus because he's supreme. He is supreme over all creation. And just so we don't miss it, Paul actually keeps going in the verses that follow. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. We think Jesus just showed up as a baby in a manger. No, Jesus was with God in creation as the, he was the living word at creation. John chapter 1 tells us that. And so Jesus is creator. Think about this. Creator of all the things that you can see and all the things that you can't see. Visible and invisible. So the physical earth but also space and energy and things that we cannot see. And he does it all with no effort at all, just by simply speaking a word. Everything begins with Jesus and it ends with Jesus because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. And it's interesting, I learned this week, and most scholars think this, They believe that these verses, verses 15 through 20, is actually a hymn that was sung in the churches that the Apostle Paul was associated with. And that would make total sense, wouldn't it? Because words like these should not lead us to a boring yawn. Words like these should lead us to throw our hands up in worship. 
for who Jesus is and for what he's done. Friends, theology and doctrine, and this is high doctrine and high theology right here. Theology and doctrine rightly understood does not lead you to boredom or arrogance or pride or dryness. Rightly understood doctrine and theology leads you to sing. It leads you to worship. Think about the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, Romans 1 through 11. You think that's high theology and doctrine? But remember at the end of Romans chapter 11, what does it lead Paul to do? Sing. At the end, go look, at, look it up, doxology. Friends, theology and doctrine always lead to doxology. And that is what the Apostle Paul is, at, is after with us in this passage. He doesn't want us to just be filled up with facts and information about Jesus and all of these neat things. He wants to change our lives. He's trying to inflame in us a heart for Christ in his beauty that he would be so beautiful that we would bow down in worship. He wants to make Jesus so attractive that we will want to turn to him. Or let me say it another way. He wants to make Jesus so attractive that when the world holds out these delusive offers of fullness, we look at them and we say, not a chance because I've got Jesus. I've got this Jesus. Why would I ever want what the world is holding out? That's what Paul is after. To say it another way, if you're a Christian this morning and you're apathetic, or you're bored, then you have missed something about Jesus. Because friends, and you see it all throughout the scriptures, when people encounter the real Jesus, they hit the deck. They worship. They sing. And Jesus, who is God in the flesh, firstborn over all creation, here's one response that is not an option if Jesus is who he says he is. And we believe that he is. One response that is not an option is indifference. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says that Jesus is either of utmost importance in your life or no importance in your life, but one thing he cannot be is of some importance. And we see that in the Gospels. In the Gospels, people either loved, loved Jesus or hated Jesus. They either worshipped him or wanted to kill him, but no one just said, ah, whatever. Whatever. I'll take it or leave it. No one said that. So my prayer for you this morning, if you're a Christian, I pray that Jesus would become new and fresh to you so that you would, if you're bored, so that you'd be captivated with his beauty and that you would start singing. If you're here this morning, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you came with a friend. My prayer is that Jesus would be so attractive to you in this passage that you would want to turn to him. Secondly, Jesus is sustainer. Look at verse 17. He is before all things. Okay, so think about this. Jesus is eternal. There's never been a time when Jesus did not exist. And in him, all things, it says, hold together. And so Jesus is not just creator, Jesus is also the sustainer of the world. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, he upholds the universe, how? 
with a word, by the power of his word. He, everything is being held together right now, including your life, by the power of Jesus' word. He did not create the world and just leave it on its own. The reason why we have seasons, come on fall, I'm ready. (laughs) The reason why the sun comes up this morning. The reason why your heart is beating right now at this very moment is because Jesus is making it beat. Jesus is giving you life. Is that not amazing? Ricky Jones, I was in RUF with him. He tells a story about a dad who was putting his young son to bed one night. And this has probably happened in your house, but it seems that when we put our kids to bed, particularly if there's some world tragedy or something that's happened in the community, that is normally the time when all of these fears start popping into their heads. Um, And that's what happened with this dad and his son. And this boy starts naming all of these fears and things that he's afraid of and saying, do people really do that? And can people really do this and that and fill in the blank, just all sorts of things? Can those things really happen? And, you know, you can try to uh, reason with them and say, yeah, but the chances, you know, trying to be honest, but you try to say, well, the chances of that happening to you or to us, very, very small. But you know that that doesn't really work most of the time. And so you know what this dad did? He rolled up his sleeve and he went, you see this? He said, no one gets through this. He said, I'm your dad and I love you. And for them to get to you, they've got to go through me. You know what the boy did? Smiled and laid his head down. In the peace and security and safety of knowing who his dad was and knowing that his dad loved him more than anything, and the boy was able to go to sleep and rest. There is nothing that comes to you that doesn't first have to go through him. There's nothing that comes to you that doesn't first have to go through Jesus. He's the king, he's the creator. He's the sustainer. He holds the world together in your life with a word, and he's also your father. Friends, nothing happens to you apart from what Jesus allows, from what Jesus oversees, and from what he upholds. Nothing. Now here, it doesn't mean we understand it. You know that. But boy, does it not make all the difference when we encounter the chaos of this world knowing who Jesus is. Jesus is loving. Jesus is in charge. He is sustainer. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful, and he doesn't sleep. Did you know that? But he's always watching over you. Psalm 121, God never sleeps nor slumbers, but he always is awake watching over you and holding up the world. If we can get our minds and hearts around that, then like this little boy with his dad, we can rest in the midst of the chaos and the brokenness of the world. Why? Because we know God's character, and we know his love, and we know that he holds all things together. Verse 18, he shifts here from creation 
Uh, he says, I'm in charge of creation. Now he says that I'm in charge and supreme in the church. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. Think about that imagery, head of the body. The body is totally dependent for survival and life on the head. And that's what, likewise, the church is dependent on Jesus for its existence and its survival. And so then the question is why? I like to ask a lot of why questions of Scripture. We asked a lot when we looked at his prayer last week. Let's ask it again. Why does Paul mention that here? Isn't that obvious? Jesus is head of the church. Why would Paul mention it? Because it's very possible for a church not to hold fast to Jesus as the head. And when the church does not hold fast to Jesus as the head, then they're at the risk of not surviving and at the very least being very malnourished and sterile and dry. And the implication here in this passage is that if that happens, uh, that happens with dry, sterile, or on the verge of dying when Jesus Christ is not preeminent in the church. Now, that should give us pause. You know why that should give us pause? Because there are a thousand things that we can make preeminent in the church other than Jesus. Growth. We can make that preeminent. Programs. We can make that preeminent. A dress code or a music style, or buildings we can make preeminent so that buildings become the end rather than the means to the end, the means to worshiping and making Jesus preeminent among all people in our community. We can make politics preeminent, or we can make ourselves, we can go on, ourselves preeminent. And one of the things you see when you look at the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, is it was very easy for them to desire a king that they could see with their own eyes and that they could honor. Friends, when the church moves away from Jesus, when the church moves away from his word as the sinner, it will fill the vacuum with something. And most of the time, it's human tradition and human authority. Listen, God is at work in this church in some very significant ways, and we are so thankful for what God is doing. It's clear that He is at work through His Spirit here. However, that comes with lots of things that can throw us off course. Lots of things that we can slowly and very subtly start making something other than Jesus the main thing here. May it never be. May it never be, Lord, help us. Lord, protect us. Help us to always make you, Jesus, the main thing at Faith Church. Because this church belongs to him. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not the officer's church. It belongs to Christ. And that's what Paul wants us to see. Lastly, Jesus is Savior, verse 21. You were once alienated and hostile. Think about these words. This is tough. Hostile 
in mind doing evil deeds. Here we have the bad news of the gospel. But to understand the good news, you must first understand this first. This is saying some very hard things about humanity. Human beings show up into this world not basically good, but evil. And again, I know that's offensive because that's not what the world tells us. But humanity is not inherently good, very clear in this verse, and it is inherently, human beings, inherently evil. And Paul is saying we're in two categories. You're either an enemy of God or you're a former enemy of God. And apart from Jesus, it's saying apart from Jesus, everyone is hostile to God. And you hear that and maybe you think, ah, come on, that's a bit much. I'm not, I, I don't necessarily agree with Christianity, but I'm definitely not hostile towards God. Well, you can be hostile in two different ways. Hostility can look like we think it looks, like shaking your fist at God, violence, immorality, uh, rebellion, and just willfully denying God and being disobedient to His Word and to His ways. That's one way, and that's an obvious way. But a less obvious way and more subtle way is we can be hostile to God through our goodness, We can be hostile to God through our good works, and that is so subtle, but we can subtly start saying, I've got this, God. I don't need you. I'm smart. I'm wise. I know what what is best for my life more than you do. I can figure this out. I'm a good person. I love people pretty well. Jesus, I don't really need you. I don't need your grace. I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much on my own. Now, of course, that looks, those look different, but what I want you to see is at the core, it's the same. It's hostility. It is a refusal to admit what the Bible says about you is true, and it's a refusal to bow the knee. Do you know your need to be reconciled apart from Jesus Christ this morning. And again, hard truth. But listen, if we don't get that, Jesus will never make us sing. We'll never really worship. Because to get the good news, you got to understand the bad news. And so let's look at the good news. Look at verses 20 and 22. Jesus makes peace by the blood of his cross. And so here's the good news. While you were sinner, were a sinner, while we were still sinners, hostile, alienated from God, enemies of God, God sends his only son, Jesus, into the world to come after us and to make peace with us. Note who's coming after who? He's coming after us. We're not coming after him. Our reconciliation is a one-sided process. He does it all. And how does it happen? Look at the verse, verse 20, through the shedding of his blood on the cross. He makes peace with us. We're reconciled to God. And because of our sin and alienation and hostility, you see, someone has to die. Think about Hebrews chapter 9, 22. 
the shedding of, there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And so someone has to die. It's either you or it's Jesus. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus takes our place. And through faith in Christ, we're reconciled and we have peace with God and forgiveness of sin. It gets better because the gospel's not only we get the condemnations gone and we're forgiven, the gospel is we get a new record. We get Jesus' perfect record. Look at the end of verse 22. Through the shed blood, you get holiness. You're blameless and you're above reproach. Think about how astounding that is. Like enemies with God, alienated, hostile. And because of Jesus now, holy and blameless and above reproach. Through faith in Christ, everything that's true of Jesus, if you believe in him, is now true of you. That's why it's called good news. Roy Regal's New Year's Day National Championship Rose Bowl, 1929. He played defense for the University of California. They were playing Georgia Tech in the National Championship game. And Regal's, Roy Regal's, picks up the fumble and runs 65 yards. But here's the thing. He ran 65 yards the wrong way towards the opposing team's end zone. They're yelling for him. They're running down the sidelines. People are saying, stop, you're going the wrong way. He didn't hear a thing. Somebody finally, one of his teammates, had to tackle him at the two-yard line. And so they end up having to punt because of the terrible field position. So they punt, and the punt is blocked, and Georgia Tech scores a safety. They go in for halftime, and Regals is so distraught that he had to be talked into returning to the game. He says this, I quote, Coach, I can't do it. I have ruined you, and I've ruined this university, and I have ruined myself. I cannot dare go out and face those people. He actually returned to the game and played fairly well. But here's the kicker. Tech ultimately wins the game going on to their second national championship, and they won by a score of 8-7. to seven. And so the costly mistake actually cost California the national championship, and that elevated and highlighted the significance of, of what Roy Regals did. And did you know for the rest of his life, he would introduce himself and he would say, my name is Roy Regals. And they would say, I know you. You're Roy Wrongway Regals that cost your team the national championship. And if you look him up online, that's exactly what you'll find listed. Roy Wrongway Regals. And some of you this morning, maybe you feel that way about your life. You've had one of those moments, a Roy Regal moment. And maybe it wasn't as public as Roy Regal's. Maybe it's something private, but it has defined you. 
your own shame that you deal with every single day and you can't shake it and it keeps popping up over and over in your life and you're wondering this morning, is there hope? Is there peace? All this peace you're talking about, is there peace for someone like me? You know what Paul's point is in this passage overall, if you wanted to sum it up? Jesus Christ is preeminent. He is supreme. And because he's supreme, Jesus is sufficient. Jesus has everything in him that your heart needs. And so whatever you lack, Jesus gives you. Do you need peace this morning with God? Jesus gives it to you. Do you need freedom from the shame and from your Roy Regal moment? Jesus gives it to you. Do you need forgiveness of sins? Jesus gives it to you. Do you need holiness before God? Jesus gives it to you. Do you need change? Jesus gives you that change. Jesus is all you need. Jesus is God made visible. He is supreme. He is the sustainer of your life and the world, and he is your savior. Jesus is all you need this morning. And Jesus really is more beautiful and more attractive than everything that the world offers. And so that's an invitation. Will you come to Jesus this morning? Let me pray for us. Father, so thankful that you sent Jesus. We were your enemies, and you loved us enough to send Jesus to make peace. Holy Spirit, your role is to glorify Jesus, and so would you glorify Jesus in this place, in our hearts right now? Would you blow us away with the beauty and the majesty and the glory of Jesus in such a way for a Christian that you would that we would see you in a fresh way that we would reorient our lives and that we would be changed and that we would follow you in new obedience and if we're not a Christian I pray that you would make Jesus so beautiful right now in our hearts that we would want to turn to him make it true we ask these things in Jesus name amen